little, little lower than yesterday. That's okay. All right, you have your Bibles. Uh, Luke chapter 7. Start in verse 36. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. There's also, I think there's still Bibles in the back. You can grab one of those if you want. As you turn there, I just want to give, again give thanks, give thanks to Jesus because of uh, last night and what he's been doing all weekend so far. Um, there's a passage in the scriptures where uh, ten lepers come running up to Jesus. They keep a distance, though. They don't come right up to him. They stay far away. And then they're just begging. Like they're just asking for Jesus to heal. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. doesn't heal him first, but just go show yourself. And as they start to go... Because on their on the way they were healed. There was ten, and only one came back, but came up close to Jesus this time, like at his feet. He says, "Where are the rest?" <laughs> they didn't. No one came back to give thanks. Um, and I think he actually, I think he actually says, "Except for this Samaritan or this Gentile, I can't remember which one it is." Um, I always want to be like the one who always comes back to Jesus to say thanks. And so for the three that stood, and I don't know who else made us surrender, like you've surrendered to Christ, you're saying I want to follow Jesus, I want to say praise God, because it's always him that does it, uh, he calls, he woos us, I always like to use this, like can you just imagine someone just trying to woo you into relationship, and but we have to repent, we have to receive, and you did, and you entered into life, and um, I just want to congratulations, it's just awesome, and then um, and then some of you needed to stay and just kind of repent or say I'm broken or whatever. But I also wanted to say this. We should be repenting all the time. Okay, it's not just or recommitting daily. I mean, it's not just when I get to camp, then I'll recommit. It should be happening all the time. And so I've got, I've got three things of bling that I wear. Uh, I'm just not that into that stuff. And so... Um, but this one reminds me I'm married to a hot woman who loves Jesus. So I want every word, thought, and deed to be honoring to her. Um, and we, everyone struggles with, like, our thoughts and where they go and what we look at. And so it's like, this just reminds me. I'm, hey, I made a commitment to her and a covenant with her. No matter what, I'm going to keep fighting for her. Uh, even at movies. You ever, you ever do a movie and all of a sudden some scene shows up out of the blue, doesn't really need to be there, and you're like, what am I watching? And so it's during those times... Uh, I'll just stare at my wife. <laughs> I'll just look at her the whole time. And that's doing that thing. I'm just looking at her. And she knows what's happening. She knows, hey, I'm fighting for you. Like, I want to be honoring to you. I want to love you. Um, so that's what that one. This one is to remind me that I love Jesus more than anything. Um, I even love Jesus more than my wife. And you sit there and go, you're a horrible husband. Guys, I'm telling you, when I love Jesus most, my wife will be loved best. So don't worry about that part. God knows how to handle that stuff. Um, but then my watch is also this. It just is this reminder. One, I like to have. Well, I don't know what time it is. The other thing is reminder. It's, hey, my my day, my hours, my minutes belong to you. Interrupt my schedule to accomplish your will. Um, those that there's this meaning behind what I'm wearing. Um, but this one is just a recommitment every day. So I, all these things come off when I take a shower and I get out. And I put them back on, and I don't stand in front of the mirror and go, fuck all God, and then go through like this ceremony. It's just when they go back on. Sometimes I'm not even mindful of it, but. It really does mean, God, I'm all about you, and I want to honor my wife. And my day, my life, my hour, every minute, every second belongs to you. In order of my schedule, so I accomplish your will. Um, recommit every day, guys. Let's recommit. And then when, you, when you're in sin, like when you're living in sin, repent. When you act in sin, repent. Just come back. It's this, this constant um, coming back to Jesus. And it doesn't mean that I'm 
hoping what we'll see this morning is that you'll see that the grace of God and the forgiveness that comes with him and being in Christ is it's the most freeing experience ever. And friends, while you're having your moments with God, last night I get back to the, my room and I'm just reading. Like I said, I was reading this book called Gospel and I read it, I'm reading another, another one, almost finishing this, a tiny little book called Gospel-Centered Life. There are times in your life where you're going to have these monumental moments with God. He just really grabs you. And I can say that that was last night, this morning for me. Just reminding me of the gospel. Or maybe reteaching it so it becomes new. It's awesome. And even this passage that I've preached before, it's all new again. Just because of what God's been showing me as I've retreated. Um, maybe I retreat in a little different way. I'm not up there getting shot. Uh, with paintballs. I just I don't get that. But like, just me getting alone with God, it just really impacts me. So I can't wait to share this. So let's pray. Um, but I wanted to make sure you understand. You recommit every day to a Jesus. But let's pray. Let's pray, let's, let's pray together. you and be loved by you, to enjoy you and be enjoyed by you, which is awesome. I thank you for the work that you're doing, and, and God, even in those that maybe they're saying, ah, oh, he's not doing anything in me, God, I thank you that you don't relent, and I just pray you even charge harder, just go after him, just unload yourself on him. And that Holy Spirit, you bring people to conviction, sin, myself to you in order that people would hear you, not me. I don't want an opinion. I don't want an agenda. I have nothing to push except Jesus. So again, as I always pray, take a feeble attempt to make much of Jesus and make much of yourself. That lives are transformed and reminded of the goodness of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Tyler. Psalm 25 and 27. Put those down for you. Sorry, it was just a conversation we had. Okay, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Guys, here's how it would happen back in the day. This is why it probably doesn't make sense to us very much when you look at what's going on in this person's house. Simon, a Pharisee. A Pharisee is kind of like one of those guys that had God all figured out, legalist, liked all the rules, wasn't really... And I can't say all of them. It's just weird. Sometimes you just think the Pharisees was them all under the bus and they all sucked. There was actually a lot of... Well, some Pharisees that really did love God. They were doing their best, but they just got caught up in the rules and the rituals, and this is all it is. Just do these things and you're good. This one didn't seem to like Jesus as much as it seems like because he invites him into his house. And th in that day, if you show up to a religious leader's house, there'd pr it'd probably be, there'd be room in the house. And if people got word that the rabbi or a rabbi showed up, 
they could come in, but they couldn't partake in the meal and they couldn't say anything. They just go there to listen. So you could sit there and go, well, how could this woman, which most would think that she's a prostitute, would she could just go into this Pharisee's house? It's not like she would probably he probably wouldn't invite her in. Well, this was kind of the norm of the day. So because a rabbi came in and Jesus has this rat or has this reputation and he's walked in and she hears about it. While he's in there, she then comes from behind. He's like, well, how can you get to his feet from behind and spend so much time there? Won't he trip over? But he's reclining at table. The way that you ate back in that day is that you didn't sit in chairs at a table. There would be a spread like a table, but it's a really, like a really short table. And so you would lay down and have most of the time you'd have your left arm under you, supporting you up, and your feet would be behind you, and then you would eat with your right hand. Okay, so that's kind of how they ate back in the day. So she comes up from behind, doesn't say anything, doesn't ask, doesn't, doesn't wait for an invitation. She just comes up and starts to cry on his feet. And then as she notices tears dropping on, her, on his feet, she then takes her hair and starts to wipe, like using like a towel. Guys, the fact that her hair wasn't up and hidden would be considered immoral in that day. So she's wiping the tears off of his feet and then he's, she's kissing his feet and then anointing his feet. It's all at his feet. So I would say that this has kind of stopped the dinner party a little bit. I'm thinking this is one of those awkward moments that nobody knows what to do. And then you see Simon and he, it's a conversation with himself. And I'm starting to think, I'm starting to wonder, and don't quote me on this and don't say, well, this is gospel truth. I'm just starting to think the more we talk about people to ourselves, the more that we relate more with the legalist than with Jesus. It seemed like Jesus spoke to the people and we legalists can all of a sudden talk about people. And we may talk about people with other people, but a lot of times it's just to ourselves. And why do we talk about other people to ourselves? Because if I can talk about somebody and I can see their fault, I don't have to think of mine. They're worse than I am, therefore I feel better. It's all self, it's all, it's just self-preservation. But here's what happens, here's what happens. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, this is verse 39, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. That's his conversation. Of course, that's why he didn't say it out loud. But that's what he's thinking, right? What sort of woman this is, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, uh-oh, dang. And Jesus knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you're going to think before you think it. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. Oh, crud. So you just try to not think about anything. You ever been, <laughs> you ever been successful at that? Like when I sleep, you still have dreams. You have some weird dreams. All of a sudden you're being chased by a pepperoni. He's like, what did it happen there? Like what, ha what was that? So your mind's still going. Something, you're still thinking. So he says to Simon, Simon, I have, some, I have something to say to you. And he answered, well, say it, teacher. And I wonder if Simon at that moment sitting there going, okay, he must be a prophet. He's getting ready to say something about this woman. And he's like, Simon, it's almost like, why is she doing this? Or why are you letting her do this? I love Jesus. Verse 41, a certain, a certain, a certain money letter had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he, call, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? It's just, I mean, it doesn't say anything about the woman. It just tells a story. Do you ever wonder if Jesus has a little bit ADD? Like, this is going on. He's like, I got something to tell you. Tell it. There's this money lender. <laughs> it just goes off on this story. He said, so who's going to love this guy more? The one who canceled the debt. 
550. Like, who's going to love him more? And Simon, his response is, well, probably the one with the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, watch. He said to Simon, so he's looking at the woman, he's saying, Simon, I'm not done. And then look what he calls her. Do you see it? What's he call her? Do you see this? Woman. What did, what did the fair, what did Simon call her? Look back in the passage. Okay, she's a sinner, but even before that, this, there's another phrase, and I don't know, I have an ESV, so I don't know what all the translations say. So if someone would read um, verse 39 out loud, real loud, so I can hear it, I can see what that phrase is. Go ahead, real loud. Who else? If this man were a prophet, kind of like the middle where, where Simon's saying it out loud or saying it to himself, yeah, real loud so people can hear There it is. That's the phrase I need to think of. Yeah, what kind of woman this is. What kind of woman? So mine's like, what sort of woman? What kind of woman? And yet when Jesus refers to her, he just says this woman. He doesn't say, hey, this sort of woman. But for the man, it's like, oh, if he's a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is. And yet when Jesus refers to her, he goes back to the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, when God created everything in six days, and you see the creation, and man and woman, and God initiates what it's supposed to look like. Men, women, God initiates that we're different, but we're equally valuable, having different perspectives and different roles, and it's beautiful. But before God, this is what it's like. And, and then you get to chapter 2, and it's kind of like more of a, it's like more of a, a laser focus on how he created humans. Okay, so Adam's created first, woman's not around yet. Adam's kind of hanging out on, on the planet by himself, and God looks, and the first thing he says that's not good is, hey, it's not good that man should be alone. Then he says, I will make him a helper fit for him. That word fit means opposite. Guys, we need to learn to appreciate the differences that we have. One of the things that, one of the things that has just been so helpful for me years and years ago is that God kindly, re, God kindly reminded me of this. Your wife is not like you on purpose. Because we make a whole lot better decisions when we actually appreciate the differences. Man, that's been helpful. So, guys, we look at things and we act a certain way because we're guys. And ladies, you look a certain way or look at things a certain way and act a certain way because you're women. And it's fine. It's good. So we shouldn't be trying to get someone to be just like us. Appreciate the differences. So all of a sudden, it's kind of like God's looking, okay, so Adam... Here's your responsibility. You get to name all the animals. Name everything on the planet. That's your job. Isn't that weird? And I know that he didn't speak English, but it's like hippopotamus, <laughs> giraffe. It's like he's just going, animals are going, I'm going to call it that, call it that. Isn't it weird that God gave him responsibility? God didn't say, these are the names, but gave him responsibility. Little side note, for those of you in leadership, if you micromanage every single thing, you do not lead like God because God is willing to hand it all off. If God gave a human the ability to name everything and did not micromanage that process, why do you? We're called to make leaders and disciples, not to get them just to follow us. So he looks at it, there's not a helper fit for him. So he says he caused the man to go into a deep sleep, took a, took a rib out of his body and made woman. Except God didn't name her. Just presents her to him and Adam calls her woman. Why? For she was taken out of man. 
Because this is now, this is a term of endearment. This is, this is Adam looking at creation and saying, I'm going to call you woman. There's endearment there. When, this, when Simon sees her, he sees the sin. When Jesus sees her, he sees creation. Friends, what this hopefully gives you, understand this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That your value is not based on your conduct for today. But your value is based on the fact that when God finished it, knitting you together in your mama's womb, in that process, somehow he put the imprint, Imago Dei, in the image of God. Created in the image of God that every person on the planet, no matter what they've done or not done, they have intrinsic value. Basically because God has put them together. That's why we as the church, as followers of Jesus, we fight for the rights of the oppressed. We fight for the rights of the unborn. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. The image of God brings the value to every person on the planet. And it's amazing to me that the Pharisee, all he could see is what sort of woman. And that all that Jesus referred to her as was woman. Do you see this woman? I know you said this sort of, but do you see this woman? Now, then he starts to kind of jab at Simon a little bit. What? He said, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Why would he bring that up? Because every good host, when you invite someone over in this day, the one of the first things that you would do is offer water to wash their feet. Because they don't have shoes like we do. I mean, it's just these flat pieces of leather on the bottom of your feet and tied with a strap around your ankle. And you're, you're walking along dirt and dung constantly all day long. I mean, this isn't like the feet... I mean, feet are weird already, but when they're just nasty and gross, the first thing the host does is, let us wash your feet. Simon doesn't even do that. So the first thing is like, it's like Jesus is going, wait, you're all jacked up and weird about what sort of woman this is. You didn't, you're a, you're a really cruddy host. You didn't even offer me water for my feet, but she hasn't stopped wetting my feet with, the t- with, with her tears. Then he goes on. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. What is that? Is that be like the equivalent of our handshake today or a hug? It's like, I, wait, I come into your house, you don't wash my, like there's no water for my feet. You don't even greet me. Like you don't even extend a handshake or bro hug or nothing. Like you just, it's like you, like I walk in and then you just go sit down. And yet, from the moment I got here, the moment she's come up to me, she's wetting my feet with her tears, and then she has not stopped kissing my feet. This sort of woman. Remember, Simon? She keeps going. He says, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. This is the third thing every good host would do. And he didn't do any of them. There was three wash water for water to wash the feet the second was to give a greeting to give a kiss the third anoint them was something that smelled better than outside that was what you did that was what every host would do he did none of them and she fulfilled every one of them here's what i'm wondering i've never thought this until just now it just popped in my head and maybe it's the truth and god revealed it or not 
what if she got there before Jesus did? And, met, and again, I have no clue. This is, this is just fun to think of. What if she got in? Because this reputation is coming over. She just slid in right before Jesus did. And she's watching. And as she watches, she watched Simon welcome him, quote unquote, into his house and then go sit down and offer none of the things. And she's just overwhelmed. So she said, you're, you're not going to do it. I'll do it. I have nothing to offer except what? And that brokenness in my tears. And realizing who he is, somehow she had this understanding. Isn't that weird? The religious ones who were pretty much their one job was to recognize God when he showed up, missed him. And the sinners and the broken recognized him. Man, that'll be fun to play with for a little bit. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, now watch this, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Guys, it wasn't like Jesus was sitting there going, she's perfect. She's never done anything wrong. Jesus is sitting there going, I know how bad she is. I know her sins. I know they are many. But he never refers to them, does he? He says, I know, his, I know her sins are many, but she's forgiven. Why? For she loved much. But he was forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, like I'm done talking to you, speaks to her. That means he has to turn around. Maybe even pull his feet up a little bit. What is he? What does he say to her? Tell me. Your sins are forgiven. That's it. Guys, you get what being forgiven means. He doesn't hold it against you. I mean, the things of the past doesn't hold it against you. Right now, if there's just something going on, you're sinning somehow. Not holding it against you. The things you haven't even done yet doesn't hold it against you. Why? Because you're known as being in Christ. That when the Father looks on me because I'm in Christ, he actually sees the Son. And when we look at, remember, when Jesus is, when he goes to get baptized, the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That means because I'm in Christ, when he sees me, he sees the Son. Therefore, the, the same words that he says to Jesus are the same words that he says to me. This is my beloved Son in him I'm well pleased. Ladies, he says, this is my beloved daughter, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. That means he can't love you any more than he does. He can't love you any less. It's constant. It's, it just is. You're his. You belong to him. You're forgiven of everything. And I think this is what's been blowing my mind over the last day. As I've just sat and tried to figure, okay, the, the gospel is good news. And yet when the angels came and they're looking at the shepherds because Jesus was born, they say, I bring you good news of great joy. My God, how do we get people to that great joy part? Not, hey, I accepted Christ and now I have to go live a mission. And I have to, and I have to. How do we get from have to to get to? Because Jesus came, because he initiated relationship with me. That means I initiate with others that they might know the same Jesus who came for me. But to know I'm forgiven completely because of Jesus. I'm loved and adored and not condemned. Guys, isn't that your verse? Your two verses, your, those are the ones to win the weekend. Right? I mean, memorize them, absolutely. Win the sucker. But don't just memorize it to win this. Like, memorize it to know it. That second part, the, the Son of Man, he did not come into the world to condemn it, 
but to save it. At some point, Christians, we forgot it. Christians, we are not called to go condemn the world. The Holy Spirit will convict of sin for the purpose of what? To point them to Jesus as the Father draws them to himself through Jesus. So if Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, then neither do we. But if you're sitting there going, Brent, but you don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't. But I know that there's this guy named Paul who made it his goal to arrest and murder every Christian he could find. And then he was, he was impacted and, oh gosh, he was wrecked by this grace of God and became one of the most empow, empowered and powerful followers of Jesus that God used to write even half the New Testament. And he wrestled with it. He knew he was the chief of cities, like the worst of sinners. And yet he knew that God's grace was Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's it. How do you think think Simon felt? I mean, he's a really cruddy host and he doesn't understand grace. And I think he's offended. And I think he's mad. Why? Because God would actually call him out. Guys, this is how the Pharisees worked. This is how the religious leaders were in John chapter 8. Let's read through it. A couple comments, and then I guess I'll get a few minutes. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. This is in John chapter 8. He came, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Guys, that proves they have, either they have an agenda or they don't understand the word of God. Actually, what the law actually said was this. You find a couple that's committed adultery, you bring the man and the woman and to stone them. You're like, that's harsh. Guys, you notice they just say, the law says we're supposed to bring a woman. What do you say? And then I love Jesus. This is his little ADD kicking in, right? This they said to him to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. It's like, what do you say? Hmm. (laughs) And he just starts doodling. It's like, what did he write? It doesn't say. He just starts to write. He doesn't answer their question. Guys, they treated this woman not as woman created in the image of God. They treated this woman as tool to try to to try to test Jesus and find a reason as to why they can kill him. When we use people for any other reason except to love them because they're in the image of God, we are no better. Verse 7, as they continue to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Hey, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And he went back down and doodled. Isn't that kind of risky? Can you imagine being the woman? They're starting to pick up stones, and she's just, I mean, she could barely grab a sheet before, before they yank her out of the house and 
bring it before Jesus in front of everyone. And she's just sitting there. And all of a sudden, as they start picking up stones, she just kind of puts her head down, getting ready for the first one to hit. And then she hears the words and think, maybe, maybe she's thinking, okay, Jesus is speaking. So here it comes. And he says, hey, if you don't have any sin, chuck a stone. And maybe she just bears down and goes for it, just getting ready. And then this is what happened. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Imagine they're all holding a stone. And Jesus says, chuck it if you have no sin. She gets ready. And then she hears, thud, 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 thud. And from oldest to youngest, they walked away. This is my guess on what he wrote. Don't say, this is what he wrote, because the camp speaker said it. Guys, remember, I'm not the sharpest tack in the box, so don't say, oh, I've got it all. No, this is a guess. Isn't it weird they go older to younger, and they start dropping them one by one? Is it possible that Jesus, hey, if you have no sin, check the first stone, and then he finds the oldest one. Hey, Jojo. Write Jojo's name, and then his sin. Oh, number two. Yep, I see you. And your sin. Jojo's. Thud. 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 Jesus just keeps writing. Is it possible? And they all walked away, one by one, until it says no one was left except Jesus with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman? Okay, remember that's a term of endearment. It's like, wake me dinner. That's not what he's saying, okay? Woman, where are they? Not, you're not how they treated you before is not how you're going to treat them. Woman, in the very beginning, I'm going to bring you back to the beginning, before the fall, woman. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. It'd be really weird if all of a sudden the passage turned, he's like, well, I must. And he picks up two rocks and goes, whack! Cracks her skull and she dies. You're like, that story sucks! And Jesus said, then neither do I condemn you. And watch what he says next, because we don't, we don't quote the whole thing. Like, well, remember the woman caught adultery? Jesus didn't condemn her. That's where you stop. But he says, watch. He says, go, and from now on, sin no more. Like, don't keep doing this. You realize that Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but stop it. Like, what got you into this? Don't do it. Keep doing that. It's not, hey, you can't judge me. Follow Christians, do you realize the Bible actually says that we as followers of Jesus are to judge one another? We are to judge one another. You see, they go, it really means to keep accountable. I totally know what it means. The idea behind judging one another is always out of love. Always out of love. Always. Not arrogance. Judging out of arrogance is creates hypocrites and legalists. Judging out of love for someone to walk up to me when they see something that's not in line with the scriptures, not in line with how Jesus would live, and for them to lovingly come up and say, Brian, I'm seeing this in you. That is the most loving thing that they could do. The least loving thing that they could do is to say nothing and to say, I'm not supposed to judge. Brothers and sisters, we're in this together. We're supposed to be doing this because we actually love one another. Some of you have given up on friends because they loved you enough to tell you the truth. And you ditched them because, like, you don't need to judge me. 
and they were just trying to help. You gave up the greatest friend, the greatest person that God blessed into your life. And you just surrounded yourself with a bunch of yes people. Just telling how great you are constantly. Guys, that's not a friend. That's not someone who loves you. Jesus had the nerve and the love for this woman to say, I'm not condemning you, but you got to stop. You can't do this anymore. Be changed. You've been freed. Don't go back to it. Isn't it beautiful to hear the God in the ears go, I don't condemn you. But then isn't it just as beautiful to hear him go, but don't do that. Why? Because it's going to hurt. It's sin destroys. Friends, when you come to the realization, if you haven't already, that God is a loving father, the most loving, compassionate, terrifying dad ever, you will realize that his commandments are for your good. Everything he says do and don't do are for your good. So, leaders who are parents, where you at? Where people are, you got, you got kids, right? Do you have rules for your kids? Absolutely. Why? Because you love them. Guys, when my, when my boys got mobile, before that, there wasn't a lot to it. I mean, they wake up all the time like, come on, come on. Dad needs some beauty rest. You see this? This isn't natural. Need some help, right? And I had night duty. I mean, we, and we had them on a schedule. It's beautiful. We put them on a schedule. I'm telling you, for those that one day you don't have kids, put your kids on a schedule. Welcome them into your house because five weeks, Tyler slept through the night. Eight weeks, Dylan slept through the night. It was beautiful. But before that, I had midnight shift, like 3 a.m. shift, feed them. That's about all I had, but it was a bottle. Like I, that's how men feed babies. I'm not sure if you know that. Women, you have a totally different thing. We, that's how we do. That's my job. So Kelly got six hours straight, and I got, we just kind of tag team. So when they're just kind of laying there, or they like tummy nap, that was the best time to be a dad. It's like tummy naps, like, hey, Brian, can you help? I can't. Tummy nap time. Being a dad. Yep. Go. Well, change the car. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I'm just joking. I don't do that either. Okay, so when they got mobile, man, that's when you're exhausted for the rest of your life. I haven't been well rested for 15 years. I love my kids, but man, when, when I saw, I just thought my kids were perfect. I was like, this is Messiah number two. Sinless. And so all of a sudden, and we, had to, we just had this idea, hey, welcome to our home. We're not going to childproof it. You're just going to know. That's what we expect. Even as little ones. And all of a sudden, I don't know what it is. What, what is with kids? And they see the outlet on the wall and they go, that's where that goes. I don't know what it is. It's like a universal thing. And so I see Tyler. I know what he's doing. He's looking at it. He pulls himself up. He gets over. He starts to crawl. Big old huge diaper sticking out the back. I know where he's going. I said, and I said Tyler. He looks back. I said, no. And I saw it for the first time saw sin nature. It's like he had this look on his face like, I respectfully disagree. <laughs> Takes out. And in my mind, I'm like, you're not that fast. So as he gets close, I get out of my chair. I walk up. As he gets close, I go, whack. You're like, you hit his hand. I absolutely smacked it. And he brings it. Like, and he looks around. And I look at him and said, I said, no. Then he's determined. <clears throat> I'm like, homeboy, know your enemy right now. Do a check. You're this big, sitting. Daddy's not. He keeps going. He's so, whack. 
And he growls. I'm like, oh, do it. I'm sorry. About five times, whack, whack, whack. And he stopped. Why? Because his hand was red. His hand hurt. He realized it's not worth it. Why did I do it? Because I loved him. I wanted him to live. It was for his good. It was for his joy. That's what he said to go. He has to learn. If that's your mentality, that you would actually let a child, your kid, put his finger in a light socket, don't have children. <laughs> Ever. Can you imagine? Like, well, he's got to learn. Okay, here. Here's a fork. It fits better. Just, and then hang on. Like, would I ever do that? Absolutely not. Guys, it's a rule that he didn't understand, he didn't like. But it's a rule that I'd set up. Why? Because I love my kid. The commandments and things that God gives that says, don't do this. And make sure you do this. They're for our good. When you understand the heart of a father who adores you, what he says to do and not do... Guys, it's not a chore. It's a joy. He loves you. And the benefits of knowing him and loving him and being loved by him. Guys, I'll close with this. It's famous last words of every preacher, but I promise. Ready? Psalm 103. Just 14 verses. You can turn if you want to. I'm just going to read them. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Guys, listen to this. All God's benefits, all these benefits that come from knowing him, who forgives all your iniquity, oh. who heals all your diseases. And I know that for some of you, you go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He doesn't heal everybody. No? Let's just play with this for just a second. Does he? Well, your wife got healed. You can say that. But I've done this long enough to realize that there's still people that they died because of Guys, one of the most amazing things you get to do as a pastor, and it sounds morbid, I know, to do a memorial service for a follower of Jesus, no matter how they died, it's awesome. When you really believe that things after this life, like this earth, what God has prepared in advance for us who believe and follow Him, guys, there are colors we've never even imagined. I think we get to fly. So not how we'll prove it. Well, if we're going to meet him in the air, there's only one way to get there. I think we get to fly. Guys, can you imagine? Everyone you meet, it's almost like you're best friends with them right when you meet them. Intimacy, perfect, beautiful intimacy. And nobody's sick. The cancer doesn't exist there. Disease doesn't exist there. We sit there and go, he, for him to heal, it has to be this side of heaven. And I'm telling you, yeah, he can't do that. But ultimately, he heals them all. I remember a woman whose name was Dora. This little Palauan woman. She's 
from Palau. She's like this tall. And like shorter than my armpit. But man, she was she was afraid of no one. She loved Jesus. We went on a mission trip to Palau. This is her, this is where she grew up. And she said, Brian, I want you to come. I want you to preach. I'm just gonna take you all over the place and preach. And I didn't know what that meant. She actually meant, I want you to preach all over the place. She said, we're going to drive to this place, and you're going to get out, and you're going to preach. I remember I preached the first message, and I sat down, and then the mayor of the village, which is like 30 people, but it's like the mayor. I'm like, oh, I've made it. I'm a big, I'm big time. The mayor comes up and says, he needs to preach again. She comes walking and says, you need to preach again. I'm like, what am I preaching about? She goes, I don't know. Figure it out. I'm like, yes, ma'am. So I get back up, and I, I've never had someone like an encore of another message ever in my life. So I preach again. We just start going through this, and then the next day we're going to a couple of places. Then one day she goes, tomorrow we're going in the prison. You're going to preach. I'm like, okay. You don't ever argue with Dora. And she's like, it was such a different, I mean, you walk in, it's just a normal door. Then the next one's like a, a barred door, but it's like, it's not like it is here. And then you walk in, and I watch her. She walks up to these prisoners. She's like, do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus? She goes, do you know? And they're like, I don't know the Lord. <laughs> she's afraid of no one. She goes, okay, Brian, they're ready. Preach. Here we go. And I just start preaching. I'm exhausted by the time this thing's over. Man, she was constantly all about Jesus and got breast cancer. And then God healed her. And then it came back. I remember sitting in a pastor's meeting. And one of the pastors had got seen her. She was in the hospital. And the thing is, when she got healed, it was when we prayed for her. On a Thursday night, our community came together. We prayed for it. She went to the doctor the first time. It was like, it's gone. Like, we don't know what happened. I love that. Like, we don't know what happened. Sometimes the body just does that. Like, okay. The second time, that's not how God did it. And he said, if you want to see her before she goes, you might want to go today. And man, I got out of that meeting as quick as I could. And I drove to that hospital. There's her husband, gave him a hug. One of his daughters was there. One of them was coming in from the Bay Area. And he goes, he can, she can hear you. Like she can respond. And she had this, I've never seen these, but it's an oxygen mask that's the whole face. I've never seen them. It's covering her whole face. And so I walked up. I said, hey, Dora. And she opens her eyes, and her eyes get big. Then she grabs my hand, and she just pulls it to her chest. I said, and then I sat around for like two and a half hours. I didn't say a word. People came in, they're reading hymns, they're singing hymns. It's beautiful. Just like, oh my gosh, as hard as this is, there's something different when you know where you're going. So about, a few, about three hours later, <laughs> I thought, maybe I should just go. Like I didn't let them have their time. So I told Dale, my husband, we get going. Just, can I say bye to her? He said, this wasn't bye, I'll see you tomorrow. This was So I walked up to her. So she's facing this way, and I just leaned in on her left side, on her left ear. And I went, Dora, I said, I'm so mad because you're going to beat me to Jesus. And her eyes got big, and she lit up, grabs my hand again, and then yanks it to her chest, and I'm standing like this. And in my mind, I'm going, man, my back's hurting. And I'm like, you can't really say that to a person who's dying right now. And so I just grabbed a stool, like someone pushed it, grabbed it, stuck it under my butt, and I just sat there for another five minutes. And she just had this biggest smile on her, on her face the whole time. 
About five minutes later, I just leaned in again. I said, I love you, Dora. And I walked out, and it broke me. And to get to do her memorial service was an honor and a joy, and it was a celebration. So does God heal all of, all of our diseases? Oh, yes, he does. He does that for us. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good? so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Guys, you know what? David had no clue what we know about the heavens. He had no clue. Guys, the universe is ever expanding. There's no limit to it. It keeps going. How do we understand the love of God for us? It never ends. It never As far as the east is from the west, so far, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Guys, God's awesome. I'm so thankful for this weekend. Thankful to see what it is that he did in you, but I'm so thankful to know what he did. When he sees you, he does not see sin. He knows your sin, but he doesn't call you that. Ladies, he looks at you and says, woman, or even more personal, daughter. Gentlemen, he's saying, yeah, that's my son. We're adopted. And he can't stop loving you. God, thank you for your goodness, for how amazing you really, truly are. Oh, thank you for reawakening my never become something you get used to. And God, may we be the same with others. May we not see them for their sin. May we see every single person as a person created in your image and therefore beyond us. So God, as we head out of so what time, God, impact us, change us, convict us, whatever's necessary. Cause us to repent. Just draw near to you and love you. Guys, before you take off or so, what time? There's some questions right behind me. And hopefully we'll kind of guide your discussion. Leaders, if you already have some questions, man, take off. Have, have a great time. If you want to take a picture or just uh, write those down, please do. Other than that, guys, have a great day. Worship Jesus hard on the ball field. Okay? Love you guys more than you know. We'll see you.